You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number six. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. We are talking to Anna LeBaron. She's the author of The Polygamist's Daughter, a memoir of her life as the daughter of a cult leader who was wanted by the FBI, including things like murder. She was one of more than 50 children of the infamous polygamist cult leader, and she endured abandonment, horrific living conditions, child labor, and sexual grooming. Her story is shocking, and it's a powerful account of a young woman who was traumatized by multiple murders in her family, separated from her mother while being groomed to be a wife of a man in Mexico, and at age 13, she escaped the violent cult, gave her life to Christ, and ever since then has sought healing. She uses her experiences of escaping the cult and her own journey of spiritual healing and freedom as evidence that every story can be redeemed for good, no matter how dark parts of it may be. Her book was published by Tyndale earlier this year and is already in the second printing. She's been interviewed internationally, and I am so very excited to have her as a part of my podcast. Anna and I are newer friends, having met through one of her friends. We had a chance to chat at a wedding, and I just fell in love with her kind heart, as I know you will too. She generously shared some tips with me about the importance of writing a book proposal. She is an expert at social media strategy for those who want to release a new book, and I plan on turning to Anna when my book is ready, hopefully at the end of this year. So in this episode, we will talk about how she escaped the cult and how God brought her into a place of freedom and healing. You'll learn how she viewed God because of her relationship or absence of a relationship with her father. And you don't want to miss some of the things that she says is really challenging her right now in this season of her life. So get ready for a story that sounds like it was made up in the writing rooms of Hollywood. Let's get started with Anna. Anna, I am so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Well, thank you, Jill, for having me. It's an honor. Oh, my goodness. You know, I've been watching you on Facebook and social media. You are like, you remind me of my epic adventure across country. Actually, I called mine Jill's Grand Adventure, and I think you're calling yours the Epic Book Tour. Yes. <laughs> so Yes, you- it's been fun. We've been on the road a total of 64 days. Whoa. <laughs> and we've covered uh, 15,000 miles in 32 states, I believe. You know, I remember when I did my um, my adventure across uh, the United States. I was the first time I was gone for eight months. And then I've done it every year since then, f- anywhere from two to four months. And really, the people that opened up their homes, like, it is so mm-hmm. generous. And it does. It really helps you accomplish what God wants you to accomplish because you're not worried about that extra expense. Um, Correct. Now, um, I, I know that we're going to dig into the book today and we're going to just talk to people. 
but about what God has um, done in your life and through your story. But one of the things I really want people to know um, is just about freedom, that you and I are so passionate about people that have gone through something really hard and overcome and not ended up jaded on the other side. Like one of the things I've noticed about you is you are kind and you are joyful. And I really want people to know that about you today because it's so beautiful what God's done in your life. Well, thank you. It's, um, I just attribute all of that to his work in my life and the freedom Mm -hmm. journey that I've been on. Yeah. And I am passionate about people finding freedom, um, you know, everyone wants more love, joy, and peace in their life. Mm-hmm. And so because I'm connected to the source of that, I have plenty to give away as I travel. Yeah. You know, I think you and I both were really impacted um, by Bob Hamp, who wrote the forward to your book and mm-hmm. um, is a pastor and uh family marriage therapist. I'm going to have him on the podcast actually in a little bit. I'm talking about freedom. I know it's so great, Mm -hmm. but I want people to know like just how we know each other, which I heard about you originally through Madeline, who's also in your book because she was one of your first friends, like the first friends you were allowed to have. Mm -hmm. Yes. I met her when I was 13 and fast forward 35 years later because if you do the math, that makes me about 28. Mm-hmm. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> But I was 13, and we've been friends for 35 years. That's great. Um, she's been my best friend. I, oh. I adore her. Yeah. Well, and I met her through some um, some blogging conferences that I spoke at and uh, got to be friends with her. And she mentioned you after she heard my heart for freedom. She's like, you need to know Anna. And um, <laughs> and I was like, OK. And then we met at Bob's wedding, you know, really for the first yeah. time in person. Um, mm-hmm. So I really I've said this before on another podcast, but I love how God kind of starts weaving things together before we even mm-hmm. knew that um, we yeah. were going to be on the same path, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's amazing to me that it keeps happening. And all the stories that are coming out from the people that I've met along the way, um, it's just, it continually amazes me. That's so cool. Well, talked a little bit about your book in uh, the introduction, but your book, The Polygamous Daughter, um, which is really a memoir, has, it took off like so, I mean, BBC has covered it. Did you expect your book to just kind of go into the second printing already, not even halfway through the year? No, I, I did. I mean, I'm an author, so it didn't, um, I didn't have that expectation going into it. Yeah. So when I had the BBC News contact the publisher about doing an interview with me, I was shocked because that was my first interview ever. <laughs> no pressure. I'm like, oh my gosh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the gentleman was kind and, uh, you know, just very professional and had done his homework so well mm. that the interview actually, um, in spite of it being my first one, turned out to be a really great interview mm. and so many people have in, been impacted by it and then it went around the world because of that and I got right. interviewed by a radio station in Ireland and you know just um, it got into an Italian uh, Vanity Fair magazine wow. <laughs> I, mean, wow. I mean it just went around the world and so much fun like there was some country that I don't even know how to pronounce the name of it that redid it in their own language wow. on their in a magazine. So 
it, it was just a wonderful opportunity that presented itself. Yeah. Why do you think this is connecting with people all over the world? Well, polygamy is a practice that is worldwide. And lot, lots of different cultures practice a form of polygamy that has nothing to do with the origins of where my father began the practice, which is Joseph Smith, who is the founder of the modern-day uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So lots of cultures worldwide practice polygamy. And, and then also people are interested, you know, here in the United States, especially because of shows like Sister Wives on mm-hmm. the TLC channel, and shows like Escaping Polygamy, which shows the dark side of polygamy. The TLC channel has this one family in the history of all the families that have practiced polygamy that I'm aware of that have what appears to be a really um, favorable or more um, engaging way of practicing this religion, you know, Mm. for sure, because they allow their children to choose Mm. whether they want to continue or not. So that's one way it's different than every other fundamentalist group that I'm aware of. Most of them, if you're born into and raised in that uh, community, over those types of communities, you're just not given a choice for the most part. Yeah. If you're raised in and groomed for and taught that your um, salvation in the afterlife is dependent on you saying yes to becoming a sister wife, how much really choice is that? Right. That's not, you don't really have a choice if you've never known anything else and everyone is expected to kind of fall in line and do what they're told. You know what that reminds me um, in, in freedom that we talk about so much, whether through my freedom life coaching or freedom ministries, um, inner healing ministries all across uh, the United States, at least um, control manipulation and control is really a spirit that um, causes people to feel like they need to control. It's a fear-based thing. And um, so cults have a, a culture of that, of using fear mm-hmm. to control people to get the outcome that they want, which is completely against what God does, which is give us free will to choose. Mm-hmm. So it's the opposite yeah. of love. Mm-hmm. That's what I experienced growing up with a lot of fear. And yeah. it's been the number one thing that I've had to um figure my way around and through and out of um, mm-hmm. as a grown adult yeah. as I've walked my freedom journey is fight, you know, fighting that fear that wants control. So. Yeah. And how did that, um, in that area of control, like we really we tend to just repeat what we know and what we've learned. Mm-hmm. So how did that, um, living in that kind of situation, and, and maybe people don't know, but you had... Um, your, we'll get into it, but your your father and um, the polygamous cult that you were bright, raised in, um, they didn't give you free choice. You were uprooted in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. Um, yeah. So much fear. How did that impact how when you finally got married and had children? And did you know how did that play out in your life? Well, it affected it affected my life significantly. It affected how I chose my you know who to marry. It affected my parenting. It affected every area of my life be- up until I was able to experience and walk in more and more f- levels of freedom, which, um, like, as you know, freedom is um, a moment, but freedom is also a process. Mm-hmm. And so uh, once you've experienced a life-changing moment, walking that out day after day, following that 
is a process that takes mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. And so that's been my journey. I started Freedom Ministry in January of 2005. And it's you know, here we are 12 years later, and mm-hmm. it's been in the last five years or so that I've really been able to experience um, more and more, exponentially more freedom as I walk out my life and, and do the things, that, the things that God has called me to do. Right. And, you know, you and I talk about freedom and we've um, walked in a culture um, in the Texas area, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area where you um, live when you're not on the road, being mm-hmm. epic. Right. Um, uh, and we talk about freedom and this culture of freedom. And just for the listeners that don't understand what we're talking about, freedom is really being free to be who God made you to be. And we can often look at it, I want to be free from, like I want to be free from Mm -hmm. that cult, I want to be free from control, but whatever Mm -hmm. we focus on gets power in our lives. Um, So if we focus on trying to get free from, that's still controlling us. And so when you and I talk about freedom, we're talking about being free to be who we are called to be um, and how God made us um, in his original Mm -hmm. design. So just to clarify that for people listening, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the book and we're going to get back into some of this freedom stuff just so people have an idea. Um, You were raised uh, in a cult by your father um, who actually... Um, was wanted by the FBI, from what I understand mm-hmm. from your story. He had some of his wives, or one of them at least, uh, mentioned in your book, that murdered someone who ended up in jail. And so they were searching for um, him. More than one. More than one. Wow. So tell us um, what it was like, and really give us a highlight, an overview of what it was like as a child being raised in this cult. What did that look like? Well, if you look at the cover of my book, the publisher put sensor bars across my eyes and a sensor bar across my mouth because there were certain things that I wasn't allowed to see. And there were definitely things that I was not allowed to say. And we were even taught to lie. Um, My father was known as the Mormon Manson because he was responsible for the deaths of 28 people confirmed Mm. and up to 38 people, depending on which investigator is counting. Wow. And so I wasn't aware that, because we moved around and we were very transient, I wasn't aware that people that would like leave the house and not come back were actually dead. Wow. So I was, I had already escaped and came across a book that had been written about my father. And And that's when my eyes were opened. I mean, I grew up in fear. All the adults were in fear. The adults knew what was going on, Mm -hmm. but the children didn't. Wow. And I escaped when I was 13. So finding out by reading a book that's been written about your father, that all these people that were, you know, because I escaped, so I kind of left that life behind me mm-hmm. as much as I could. Right. Um, finding out that people that I cared about, loved, and knew, and, you know, played with, and, you know, yeah. just finding out that they're dead. And why did your dad order their murders or or? kill them himself, whatever the, the situations, what was his reasoning for killing people? He was never um, the trigger man in any of the deaths, as far as I know, but that's okay. not, I can't confirm that. Um, he, he was practicing one of the ten, the early primitive uh, tenets of the, of Joseph Smith's teaching called blood atonement, which meant there are some sins that you commit that cannot be atoned for by the blood of Christ. And therefore, you atone for those sins with your own blood. And so he would order a hit 
as a blood atonement for people that dared to leave because mm-hmm. he considered it a sin if you knew the truth and then walked away from it. Well, the truth according to him. Right. And then you walked away from it. And of course, you know, people that joined his religion and then found out that they were killing people, mm-hmm. um, they were like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Right. But if they knew information, if they had information and they could go to the police with it, you know, he would have them blood atoned. And then he considered himself to be the prophet that God's mouthpiece on earth. So anyone else, other fundamentalist uh, community leaders that would call themselves, quote, the one mighty and strong, which is the language in their sacred text, Mm -hmm. which was God's person that came to set the kingdom of God in order on earth, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyone else that referred to themselves as the one mighty and strong or that they were the ones with the truth or the mantle or the current prophet, you know, that they were false prophets, obviously. So Mm -hmm. because my dad was the one mighty and strong. So everybody else was a false prophet. Wow. So he would order... He would order hits on them, and some of them were carried out, and, and anybody he considered a rival or any way that he thought he could benefit from their death, he would order a hit. So a lot of people were very afraid of my father. The other fundamentalist groups were afraid of my father. They were afraid of my father's followers and because they, they were going around carrying out his orders. Right. So when you escaped at 13... Were you, you didn't know to be afraid of this because... I didn't know to be afraid, and I didn't have any insider information. So there was Mm -hmm. never a threat to my life for leaving Mm -hmm. because I I didn't know. I didn't have information that I could go to the police with because I didn't know. That's why there were sensor bars on my eyes because I couldn't, I didn't know anything. There were things I was not allowed to see. And the people who helped you was your older sister? And her husband? A half-sister of mine and her husband. And did they know? So were they at risk for being murdered? Yes, they were at risk. And they were, he was eventually killed. um, um, Even after my father passed away in prison, he died when I was 12 in 1981. And then um, he had left a list of people that had betrayed him. Mm. And my brother-in-law was on that list, and very tragically, him and three other people were um, killed all at the same time, around the same time, on the same day, in three Mm -hmm. different locations in the state of Texas. And those events became known as the four o'clock murders. Wow. And, And it was my very own family that carried out those murders. And you didn't know this at the time? So when you- well, I I we knew like by that time I knew okay. I was aware, and and we did live in fear of mm. that happening. Wow, because I, we knew it was a possibility. I can't even imagine um, what that was like and how that just really can damage a young girl. Um, because you had met your father, and he was very charismatic. Yeah, he. I met him uh, for the first time when I was nine years old, um, having been left in Mexico with some of his followers that I was not familiar with Mm -hmm. Um, for over a year. We we were just basically abandoned in Mexico with people (laughs) moved around a lot. And, you know, I, when I was down there, that's when I met him for the first time. And I talk about that in my book, what it was Mm -hmm. like meeting him and interacting with him the two times that I had that opportunity. Right. And then, um, so I've only talked to my own 
biological father twice that I remember. Yeah, and 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 the being in Mexico, um, you were moved there in the middle of the night because what you didn't understand at the time was. Well, what you were told, I believe, from your mother was mm-hmm. that, um, you know, there, he he is your father as the prophet received a word from the Lord that your family was in trouble. And um, mm-hmm. and so you went to Mexico and you were, like you said, living with this family. And what really struck me in the book was the the grief that you felt of being separated from your mother again and not knowing when mm-hmm. you'd see her again. Yeah, that was that was um very traumatic for me as a child and for where, you know, the age and stage that I was, it was a difficult, difficult season of my life. That in addition to when I was seven, she left us in Dallas, which is where the kind of the book opens is that moment when she's leaving us in Dallas to go work in Denver. And it was going to be in depth, you know, for the indefinite period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's when, um, through the freedom ministry. So we can talk, go back to circle back around to talking about freedom. Yeah. That's my favorite topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it's been during, you know, during that um, process of, of going through counseling, professional counseling, and then pressing in at, you know, for freedom ministry, you know, events and things that I uh, attended, um, read and watched and, you know, <laughs> pressed in. For my own freedom, yeah, that I was able to uncover that it was when I was seven and I was left for the first, not for the first time, but for the first time for an extended period of time um, without my mother, that the um, anxiety and depression that <clears throat> has kind of plagued my life, mm-hmm. even into my adult years. Um, well, not now because obviously you you yeah. see a different person than right. I was. Yeah. But for the longest time, anxiety and depression were constant companions. Yeah. Just because you know when <clears throat> these events happen. Excuse me. <clears throat> when these events happen, that leave just gaping wounds in your heart. The enemy comes in. The enemy takes that opportunity and and does his worst mm-hmm. to try to, you know, take you captive and and keep you there in that place of captivity. Yeah. And having the experiences that I now have, where I'm able as an adult to go back and process the events of my childhood, things that happened. Mm-hmm. And the the things that shaped my life and shaped my heart for so long, and then walking those things out and and walking in freedom as yeah. much as I'm able, you know, being able to breathe and and know that I am a daughter of the King yeah. is has these are new things for me. Even though I've been a believer for. Over three decades, right? You know, you can be a believer and be in bondage. Absolutely. And that was my experience up until I started attending Freedom Ministry. 
You know, when I've ended up calling my coaching practice Freedom Life Coaching, and I work with people who have been in cults, um, but who have also just had damaging relationships with their mother, their father, um, whether it's abandonment or abuse or rejection, like what you're talking about. Um, And what people may not understand is, um, as adults, like you said, you walked in some anxiety and depression, but there's usually a moment where we agreed with the lie from the enemy, and we either believe a lie about God um, or about ourselves or even about others. And that's the the open door that you were talking about, that the enemy can mm-hmm. come in. And so we have an injury. We have an event in our life that is so damaging, like when you were seven and your mother left and you didn't know when you'd see her again. And so then the enemy comes in and whispers things to you. And we develop mm-hmm. these protective mechanisms in order to make sure that that doesn't happen again or we don't feel that again. And that's where the enemy just starts telling us he's our protector and You know, if you get angry, this won't happen again, but it's a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. because then whatever event we had and there was an open door, we believed a lie and we try and protect ourselves, something usually like that happens again. And so Mm -hmm. that's when you said walking through freedom is a process. It's really identifying when did that happen? What event happened in my life that caused me to believe a lie? And when did that, you know, really do its damage? But then there's all kinds of other stuff that has happened since then that we need to address, too. Right. Um, right. But it is possible. What I love about your story and really mine, too, and some of the things um, that have happened in my past, and I went through Freedom Ministry for so long, was knowing that we can come out victorious on the other side, that God really yeah. is so good. And when we learn who he is as Father— then how did your, um, when you started going through your freedom process and you started seeing God as a good father, how did that reshape your experiences from your earthly father? Well, I, most people that have a less than ideal experience with an earthly father um, experience a difficulty connecting with a good father, a heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was my life. Not you know, for me, God was distant. He was far off. He was not. I didn't feel protected and provided for and provisioned and um, and loved. Mm-hmm. I felt um, there was a constant striving for me instead of just surrendering into this relationship. It was a constant striving for me. Yeah. Wanting to measure up to fulfill what I thought I needed to do and and do and do and do. It was a lot of doing, trying to please my father. And what, you know, really you said the, you know, worrying about provision, some of that I can only imagine came from, especially when you were in Mexico and you were having to sleep on a foam mat and you didn't always mm-hmm. have, you didn't have nutrients, you were malnourished. So right. you moving to Mexico, just so people understand, wasn't like, oh, you're really being protected. You were forced to live with a family mm-hmm. that didn't take care of you, really. Right. Um, and and a man who you were being groomed to marry. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was those experiences that shaped my view of God and, and left me at a loss as far as being able to open my heart up to experiencing him as a good father mm. because I was always guarded and always protecting. And 
that did not change the ways that God has moved in my life, and and He has provided, He has protected, He has orchestrated events and circumstances and people in my favor all along. I can look back and see, even with my father's death in prison, that began a chain of events right. that led to the fact that you and I are now having this conversation today. All of that was his provision and protection and his uh, orchestrating things in my favor in my life. Yeah. I just didn't, I wasn't able to see those things. Right. So and what... now I can. Yeah. And now my eyes open to the ways that he's providing and protecting and, and doing all these things for me today. I don't, ha- it's, it became a thing where I had to look back to see it. Mm-hmm. And now I, you know, where you, but you still feel afraid for today. Yeah. What's going to happen today? You know, and yeah. really, if you think about it, this mo- this very moment is the only one we really have. This moment where we're taking a breath, where none of us are promised tomorrow, none of us can have back yesterday. Yeah, this moment is all we really have, and and being able to, in this moment where we're taking a breath, surrender to Him acknowledge his presence, acknowledge his goodness and his provision and see it for what it is in this moment mm-hmm. is, is what I encourage people to do. So in living in the moment, which is so awesome, but is there more um, that you you know recommend and advise women who are coming from less than perfect families? Well, anytime you experience um, events, any type of traumatic event or any kind of abuse, or neglect, any type of kind of thing like that with a parent or parental figure, it's going to leave you with open wounds that need healing. And, and so those are the things that I encourage women to um, reach out to a friend, um, reach out to a pastoral type, reach out to safe people and talk about the things that have happened that have wounded them. Because, you know, the enemy loves to operate in secrecy. Mm-hmm. And the things that happen to us as children and even as adults sometimes or teens, those are the, the things that we kind of keep hidden on the inside. And it's so important to tell your story. It's mm-hmm. so important to find safe people to tell your story to so that those things that happened on the inside don't stay on the inside. Because that, that secrecy is where the enemy loves to work and to hold people captive and, and keep those hidden things hidden. Mm-hmm. Once they come out into the light, once, once you've had, you know, once you tell your story to someone, um, it, it begins a process that, that God can work with yeah. to make those wounds begin to heal and so that you can walk in freedom from the effects of the things that happened to you. So when was the first time that you actually told your story to someone? Oh, um, I avoided telling my story for the longest time, even into my adulthood, just because there was so much shame attached to being Erva LeBaron's daughter. Mm. I didn't want people to know my story. I'm trying to make friends, trying to, you know, establish friendships in the churches that I attended. So I avoided telling people about my family of origin as much as possible. Hmm. And it was after talking to a friend after I had this horrible nightmare one night 
that had to do completely had to do with my uh, family of origin. Um, but she encouraged me to go and talk to her pastoral counseling, the lay ministry counselor at her church. And she was a friend. Like she said, "Would if I make you this appointment, will you go? And I didn't think I needed help. I was, you know, mm-hmm. kind of lived my life. And I was a mom of little kids and just trying to do my best. And she said, if I make you an appointment, will you go? I said, sure. Like a little bit skeptical, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, she said, do I need to watch your kids while you're at the appointment or do I need to drive you? Like she really had mm. intention for me to get the help that I needed. Wow. So I sat down with the pastoral counselor at their church and for an hour bared my soul for the first time to a stranger. And she very wisely referred me to a professional, you know, a Christian professional counselor. And I worked with that woman that she referred me to that, you know, I talked about how God orchestrates people and the circumstances and events. Yeah. Um, the pastoral, the counselor, the professional counselor she referred me to, um, did her thesis on cults. Wow. And so yeah. it's been now 12 years of walking out my freedom journey. And, and there's still some ways in which I'm still processing through and, and walking out. Cause it's a, it's a day by day thing. It's yeah. not like, you know, once and one and done, you know, you're, right. Oh, I'm free. And then boom, everything is Different. No, you have to walk out that freedom. You have to live the truth, to know the truth, walk it out. And then, you know, there's a part that we have in that process. God has a part. We have a part. And our part is surrendering most of the time. That is it, so it's good. surrendering to these truths about our identity and who we are in Christ and, and stopping the striving for acceptance and love and um, significance that are already our birthright, our inheritance. They're, they already are ours. Right. We're not fighting us, for our inheritance. We right, already have an inheritance. Right. It, it's already ours. And right. yet we, we, we find ourselves so many times just striving for things that are already ours. Well, I, and, I was struck by uh, that in your book that you, as a child, you were always having to be perfect or you were in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um that was difficult to say the least. Yeah, so you learned these things and that affects everything in your life from work to raising kids and I assume to marriages right. and you know mm-hmm. um where are you at now in your singleness in this freedom journey? Well, I was a single mom for a lot of years. Um my kids are now all grown. I graduated my last um, the last of the five kids mm. just in June. So June of 2017, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> right. So June of 2017, I graduated my last child. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that I just love so much about God is just how much he has redeemed so many aspects of my story. Mm. Even as a single mom trying, you know, I became a single mom and then I was working full time. The economy tanked in 2007, 2008. I think everybody remembers that. Yeah. <laughs> I lost my job oh. and then ended up working three jobs to keep my mortgage paid so that I could keep a roof over my children's head. Wow. And 
you know, in a, in a season where a lot of people were looking for work and couldn't find a job, I had three. Yeah. And it helped me keep that roof over my children's head and not lose that home because it would have cost me more to right. try to find an apartment for six people, you know? Because, right. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, so it was just by his grace that I was able to just work hard and, and keep that roof over their heads. And because of the way I was raised, so transient, always on the run, moving around so much, I never had a place to call home. I never had a hometown. Mm. And so because we moved into that house in 2005, um, my kids started going to school. um, And now here it is 2017, 12 years later, and all five of my children have um, graduated from the same high school. That's so great. Which, you know, me being able to just hold on and by God's provision, keep that roof over their heads, keep that home. They have a home, a place that they can call home. They have a hometown and and they have all five have graduated from the same high school. And people take and for that granted just, that. People forget people that. Take, yeah, that we just, it's normal for us to think we have a hometown, but it's not normal for everyone. It wasn't normal for you. It was not normal for me. And for me yeah. to be able to just give that gift to my children, this redeems so mm. much of the wounding in my own heart about how transient we were. Yeah. And and it just allows me to know that God does redeem. He restores. Um, he heals. And when, when we allow that to happen, and even when we're striving and, and working and, and trying to make things the way we think they ought to be, um, God is at work in and around us. And mm-hmm. if we can surrender in that process, instead of striving, He's still going to, and his, his, He can work so much more powerfully on our behalf in our surrender than yeah. in our striving. But that doesn't mean that just because we have these weird mixed up ideas about God that he's just abandoning us and saying, well, until you can figure out this whole thing, you know, then no, you know, that's not how he is. Even in all my striving, even in all my suffering, even in all the the years that I spent um, trying to hold on to things and hold on to ways in which I was experiencing my relationship with him. Yeah. And you know, he was there and he cared about what he cared about what you cared about. Like he knew sometimes I feel like he answers my thoughts, not my prayers, but he knew (laughs) that your intention was you wanted a home. Like you wanted a place that was yours. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was so touched even by a story in the book where you didn't even have possessions. Like you had a purse that your sister, the sister wives of your mother gave you. And Mm -hmm. that, and when that was taken away, you're like, that's the only thing I had that was pretty. And, yeah. and oh, don't make me cry. <laughs> oh, well, it really it touched me too in reading that. Like, I I wasn't raised that way, you know. And yeah. um, and to know that you you've grow you grew up with not having a lot, and then God gives you abundantly a home that mm-hmm. you've always wanted that you could give that legacy to your children. And what I think is cool. Mm-hmm is that the timing of the Lord for all your kids to have graduated, and now you really are free to go on the road. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, one of the things people may not know about you is um, you are really good at helping people launch their books. 
And oh my gosh, that's the most fun thing. We could talk about that all day long. It's my favorite. <laughs> we'll have to do a whole other <laughs> podcast on that all just by itself. Um, yes, let's do that because that's my favorite thing to talk about because it's so much fun for me. Oh, well, I'm excited to learn more about that because, uh, yeah, as I get my book done, I'm going to need your help. <laughs> Oh my gosh, let's do it. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, specifically, let's just give one little piece of advice to people. Mm-hmm. What would you okay. say to someone who wants to write a memoir of their story? Well, um, write your story without editing it. And, mm-hmm. and write everything in your first draft. Write everything that happened to you. You don't have to decide what is going to be included in the book, um, what needs to be for public consumption, because not everything that happened to you needs to be in your book. Hmm. But first time you're writing, write everything. That first draft is mm-hmm. for your eyes only. Mm. No editor, no friends, no family, no publisher, no agent. The, that first draft is for your eyes only and everything goes in it and you keep it under, you know, a password protected <laughs> if you feel the need to do that, you know, yeah. password protected document where it's for your eyes only and don't edit as you write, spell mm. it all out. Everything that happened to you, you, those things that happened to you, you get to write them out and writing out your entire story, everything that happened, the things that were said, things that were done, your impressions, things that weren't right. Mm-hmm. Um, as you write them, it takes those things from the inside of you and puts them on the outside of you. That's powerful. Then, then you can see those things with a different pair of eyes and from a different perspective. Hmm. Because instead of looking inward, you're looking outward at these things that happen to you. And God is able to do something with something that you've taken from the inside and put on the outside that cannot happen any other way. That's so good. And so then you can decide. You can take the things that are like, this is not for public consumption. Mm-hmm. And and you can create a second draft where you copy and paste or whatever, and you take out the things that don't need to be for the, public, uh, the public's mm-hmm. eye. Yeah, and then you can go and and talk to people and talk to people that coach. I'm an author coach as well, and so I can help people decide which parts of their story are private yeah. that need to be talked to with a professional counselor or with a minister, and which parts are part of the overarching story of your life that God wants to use to help others. That's good. Not everything that happened to me is in my book. Are there certain things that maybe aren't in your book, but you might mention in a speaking engagement? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I talk about all kinds of different things that are not part of the book, ways in which um, you know, God, I mean, just the different ways that God has healed me and the healing journey that I've been on. 
Well, I I so encourage people to go get the book and learn more. I know it's so hard to cover everything, you know, in a podcast, but I I just really encourage people to get it. You will see um, God all throughout it, just like you, Anna, have said. You can look back and see where God protected you and provided, and um, and I I just think people will be really impacted. So they can find the book. Where can they find your book? I, I know I downloaded it online, but go ahead and give them some ideas. Yeah, it's available at everywhere books are sold. Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on my podcast today. I I want to talk to you more, but um, we're going to end here. <laughs> and is there anything, just leaving the audience with one little piece of nugget um, of encouragement, I always ask my guests, what is inspiring, encouraging, or challenging you right now? Well, um, me walking out my freedom journey has been um, part of my story, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in one of the things that I've been challenged with recently is <clears throat> I experienced a new level of freedom in one certain area of my life that was real and palpable. And, and then immediately that day, another area of my life was uncovered where I needed to walk out more of my freedom journey. And so, you know, you ask what's challenging me and that is exactly it. It just, just because I've experienced a measure of freedom in one area um, doesn't mean that the, the fight is over, that the battle is over. The battle for my heart is over. Um, mm. I'm currently still engaged in that process, walking yeah. out my freedom journey. And so um, I don't, I don't want to leave people with the impression that, you know, everything is just rainbows, butterflies, and roses, right. you know, now, because that's not the case. There are so many ways in which our, we have an enemy that wants to still kill and destroy, and he will come in and do his worst, even when you are walking in freedom. Yeah. And so it, it's not just a one and done thing. Yeah. For all of us, it's a process. For all of us, it's a journey. Yeah, I agree with that. And I just, um, for anyone listening, we just challenge you to face the hard things. Um, let God uncover the wounds and, and the things that have happened in the past, but not to focus on them too much, to focus on who He is and where He wants to bring you, um, right. and to really dig into your freedom process. And um, I'm just going to say, if anyone wants more freedom information, obviously, Bob Hamp, I would read Anna's book, um, and or contact me as a freedom life coach. I have a, a 12-week program that I walk people through freedom on different topics, mother wounds, father wounds, walls and defenses we've built, lies we've believed. Um, and if it's not me, find someone at your church, um, in your community that you can trust with your story. And that can begin the process with you. Um, someone that's loving and gentle and grace-filled. Um, I think you'll. F- so there are so many people around the country in ministries who want to help people find freedom. And actually, that reminds me. I'll put a bunch of those links to different resources that I've come across as I've developed my coaching practice for those that are looking for freedom. Um, so, Anna, I, I thank you so much again for being here today. Thanks for sharing your story and what's challenging you. And I just bless you on your journey as you do your epic book tour. Um, I just pray <laughs> that many people come and um, really 
really just get in your presence because when you're free, you set others free. And I just sense such an anointing on your life to set the captives free because of your kindness um, and your gentleness that is so representative of our Lord Jesus. And um, as they meet with you, I just bless them to just be set free and start their own freedom process. You're in a powerful, ter- you know, this is not just a book tour. You are on a mission trip for Jesus. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see what God's going to do through you. So I'm excited too. And thank you for having me, Jill. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Oh, great. Well, thanks. We'll talk again soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show. You can find more from Anna when you go to jillmonaco.com slash podcast. Just click on the show notes to find all the links that we mentioned here today. And while you're there, would you leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on this podcast? And you know what? So you don't miss another episode of The Jill Monaco Show and all the really cool people that are coming in the future. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast here on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for at Jill Monaco. You know what? If you are inspired, encouraged, or challenged today, please share this podcast with your friends and on social media. Tag me at Jill Monaco so I can continue the conversation with you. You know, if you'd like more podcasts like this, would you prayerfully consider partnering with The Jill Monaco Show? As a program of Jill Monaco Ministries, a 501c3 nonprofit, we are fully supported by listeners like you. You can even get a tax deduction for your gift. Just visit jillmonaco.com donate. You can get through PayPal, credit card, or by mail. I promise it would mean so much to us to be able to continue giving people messages about freedom like Anna's. Well, thanks for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You were made for it.